The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Boy, what a great looking place. When I used to dream about going to college, this is the way I always pictured it. Wait a minute, when did you dream about going to college? When I used to fall asleep in high school. Look, Dad, I know how much all this means to you, and I'm, I'm sorry I lied to you, okay? Chase, you don't have to lie to me. No matter what you do, I'll love you just the same. Will you love me no matter what? No matter what. I'm dropping out. You're dropping out? You just got here. You just started. Dad, I know, but I'm not making it here. I don't fit in, you know? I got one friend, Derek. He's got no friends. I, the girls don't like me. The fraternities don't want me. The diving coach won't even talk to me. I mean, look at it this way. At least you're getting an education. Dad, last semester I got nothing but C's. A, B, C, you're in the top three. What are you worrying about? I just think I'd be a lot better off, you know, getting a job or something. Well, you never went to college. Look how great you're doing. Jason, I said it before and I'll say it again. I don't care how rich, successful a man is. Without an education, he's nothing. I mean, stay in school. Study harder. You can be whatever you want to be. You want to be a loser, you be a loser. You want to be a winner, you be a winner. Jason, it's up to you. You can do it. Remember, you're a melon. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, July 9th, 2009. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing, just right. Fade into color, and color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to the show today, where our subject is going to be something I haven't Joining actually covered yet in all my hundred and plus shows so far of Just Right, and that is the general state of our education system, which might be exactly the right words to use. Today we'll be talking about knowledge versus education, state education, are we really nurturing coercive minds? And to join me in this discussion today is someone who might be familiar to many of you, um, in fact, um, you mo most of you may know my guest today, Robert Vaughn, as former trustee from the London Board of Education and from the Thames Valley Regional Board, where he served two consecutive, um, I guess, terms. Is that what they call them, Robert? Terms, sure. Why yeah. Not? Well, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Was, uh, you haven't been in politics, or you haven't been really uh, involved in the public eye for a while. You've been certainly done a lot in the past. You've been on a chair, you know, budget advisory committee of the board. Um, you've been on all sorts of representative councils, including the Crime Prevention Advisory Committee. Um, now, you were on the board back wh when we're talking here now. 2000, was that when you left? Well, two terms, six years mm -hmm. um, from... 97, 2000, right. I think it was the last term, wasn't it? And, and why did you run in the first place to get on the board? Oh, long story, I guess. Yeah. Um, I was part of the London Middlesex Taxpayers Coalition, mm -hmm. as you were, Yes. and a number of other people. And um, one of those members actually handed me a book called Why Johnny Can't Read by Rudolf Flesch. And I found it a fascinating read, and I just happened to have a couple of children who were of school age, just about mm -hmm. to get into school, and uh, the things that were revealed in that book uh, astounded me, and I thought I had to do something about it, get involved, and and before my kids got into the system, maybe I could do something, of course, uh, and um, so I, I, I ran for trustee. Um, wasn't really successful the first time around, but right. then again, a lot of people aren't, so ran again a second time and uh, got elected. In Ward 4, the east end of the city. And then again after that, one more term after that. After right? that, yeah, when um, the school boards were amalgamated into the Thames Valley District School Board, um, I ran citywide with, um, and I think there were six trustees at the time got elected to represent the City of London on, this, on the new board. Mm -hmm. Well, I should let our listeners know, and maybe you don't know this, Robert, you're probably the most single most influential person uh, in terms of my understanding of the whole education system, because I got involved with you at that time. We, we went sort of on a learning trip together, didn't we? We did, yeah. And um, But that was interesting. Going to do something unusual right now. Going to take our first break a little bit early to get this conversation on the go. By the, wa by the way, 519-661-3600 is the number you can call if you want to talk to either Robert or myself about this issue of education. 
Um, right now I want to go back to just to the period right after uh, Robert was a trustee and, and you appeared on a show with Rhonda Glenn on CTS in, in Toronto. Oh, yes. And um, I know you haven't heard this for a while, <laughs> but um, in this clip what we're about to hear, this is from 2002 and it was actually taped on June the 7th for a summer broadcast. And it was an hour-long thing with three people, but I've concentrated on a little bit of uh, what you had to say at that time to Rhonda Glenn. And on the other side, we'll hear from Emily Noble, who was at then um, the union representative for, I think, the elementary school teachers. But we'll hear all that. And when we come back, we'll have a nice run and uh, pick up from there and see what kind of conversation that gets started. Back right after this. Joining us in studio this afternoon, Robert Vaughn. He's the education critic for the Freedom Party of Ontario. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. How much choice should parents have when it comes to educating their kids? And not just choice on where to send their children, but also where their dollars go. They should have every choice uh, that's available to them. Um, I think we should, especially with the new funding formula, the problems that we're having in education, we see it being paralleled in the healthcare system we should really start to question what is the role of government in education. And uh, it's the Freedom Party's position, of course, that the government has very little role in education or should have very little role in education. If anything, it should be to perhaps help those students who cannot go to the, uh, the school of their choice, maybe subsidize the students, rather than create a system and subsidize a system. How can you say that the government should have very little role in education? Well, I think people should actually look at history to find out that the government was not always involved in education. Actually, it became, uh, started off privately um, with uh, very large companies, factories, wanting to give a benefit to their employees by educating their, their students in a systematic and standardized way. The government took that over not too long ago, maybe about 100, 150 years ago here in Canada to varying degrees. And the purpose of the government taking over education uh, originally was to prevent American influences mm -hmm. in the education of children here in Canada. And I think that that's still the purpose of education, uh, public education in Canada is, is politically motivated. I was a trustee on the London Board of Education. I was a trustee on the mm -hmm. Thames Valley District Board of Education until recently. And I can tell you unequivocally that the purpose of the public school system is political in motivation. It is rarely, it is rarely to teach children the skills and knowledge they need to survive and to live in society and to be good uh, members of society. It is replete with uh, training in, in, in such higher order concepts such as pollution, mm -hmm. uh, recycling, um, race relations, I'm teaching an eight-year-old about race relations and things of that nature and ethics and very politically motivated. Not to say that those things are necessarily bad to teach a child, but it is, um, in my perspective, the uh, purview of a, of a parent and um, a family to teach children such things as ethics and morality and, and how to behave in society. Well, Robert, if you had your way, what sort of model would you envision? If, if you say that the government should have very little role in, in educating our kids, uh, what would happen? Would we have a series of private schools, or, or would everybody be homeschooled? I have great faith in humanity to fill any need that's, that's required out there. And if the uh, education system was open to the public uh, or marketplace, as it should be, then you, you would see a very quick... Uh, filling of any gaps that took place in, 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 in education, whether it be the kind of curriculum that's taught, the methodology that's used for teaching children, for example, whole language versus phonics. But wouldn't that just open up the door, though, to another agenda? Maybe not one that's politically motivated, but... Mm -hmm. Perhaps so, you know, but the thing is... You know, though, an agenda driven by corporate Canada. You may, be, you may be right in some cases, but the thing is, and this is the, this is the crucial point, it is then the parent's decision to either accept that or not. in studio by Emily Noble of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting us. Are you getting a little bit weary, not just uh, in the conversation that we've been uh, having this afternoon, but I mean, it just, it has become so popular almost. It has become almost like, a, a, you know, an Ontario rite of passage to take pot shots at the public school system. Are you getting a little bit tired of it? 
Um, yes, yes I am. At the same time, I recognize in your introduction you mm -hmm. talked about the cornerstone. A cornerstone of a democratic society is that we do have the democratic right, right to express our opinion. And uh, despite what people say about the government, and I may have some, uh, some serious objections to what, what government is doing, the reality is we do live in democratic society and we do have a right to speak out. And that is the strength of whether it's speaking out in terms of health care, education, the highways and those things, and that's the strength of a democratic society. Why do you say that a public school system, though, is the cornerstone of that democratic society? I believe it's the cornerstone because as a, as a responsible citizen in the society, there must be a public system that everyone and has the right to attend, uh, to go to. Everyone has the right to have health care. Everyone has the right. To, and I believe that those are democratic principles, uh, principles within, within a democratic society. And I believe that those are things that we as a society value. Uh, if people want to have choices, they can pay for their choices after, but there must be a system that's supported and valued by, by society and government. Well, Robert, what did you think of that? Um, you were on that show with Emily at the time, and you didn't get a chance to get the last word in that time. Well, Today's your chance. <laughs> <laughs> this is my last word, yeah. yeah. Um, the notion that the government should be the, a cornerstone of education, I think, is perverse. It really is, because I think education is the cornerstone of education. Knowledge, teachers, that's the cornerstone of education. Well, isn't that what she was saying? No, no. Oh. She was saying unions and governance. Uh, uh, governments were, were the uh, cornerstone of education, not necessarily individuals, um, parents, individual parents, individual st uh, students, individual teachers. She's grouping everybody together into collectives. Well, I found it interesting in trying to select exactly what she was getting at her main point. She kept repeating over and over and over again the word democratic that it's a fundamental democratic right to have free education, free health care, <laughs> and all these things. And I'm thinking, my, my goodness, we must not have been in democracy until 19-something <laughs> or other when yeah. we started health care, 69. Yeah, the whole idea that, for example, that you can, uh, your elected officials know better than you do in how to teach your child, or know better than teachers in how to teach your child, um, is pretty strange. Uh, the fact that we have uh, school boards and trustees, I think, is an illusion of, of uh, democracy, an illusion that we have choice in, in how our children are taught and choice in how, um, what curriculum they're taught. In fact, we give up our choice as soon as we accept the notion that uh, education should be run by monolithic boards and a monolithic province dictating from above that everybody should be taught this, everybody should be uh, uh, taught that, and it's just Totally well, undemocratic, if you want to use her term, uh, her use of the word democratic, which is not necessarily Okay, okay. with that in mind then, who would you say really runs our public education system? Um, and here's your choices. The public, parents, taxpayers, trustees, teachers, unions, students, who, anybody in that mix? Actually, none of those. None? None of them. You've, you've left out oh, one, oh which goodness. I think is at the root of the entire... Um, well, the, the good and the bad of pu public education, I think, is uh, the universities and uh, the Althaus colleges, the, uh, the teachers' colleges. That's where the seeds of uh, curriculum are established. That's where the seeds of uh, um, the politicization of education uh, begin. If you just go to your university and you go to the bookstores, in the university or the Althaus College and you go through them and you find out what are our teachers being taught, you'll find that it is a totally politicized, totally... Um, well, then wouldn't the answer be teachers? I had teachers in that list. Ah, but the teachers are only the end product of the education that the teachers are receiving. Mm -hmm. It's the colleges. It's, it's the... Um, uh, now, I know, I know you're a fan of Ayn Rand, and so am I, mm -hmm. and I think Rand pointed out that before the, uh, the politics are an end result of philosophy yes. and I think if we uh, discover the philosophy of what teachers are being taught then I get we get to the root of the whole problem I can understand what you're saying there but I guess my real question was like who you, you can, that's where the philosophy originates that's, that's where the ideas originate mm -hmm. but I, I wouldn't say that the universities have some kind of political or economic control of the education system that's what I was sort of getting more at well no um, not political or necessarily economic because that's who, that's 
that's what's controlling the system, right? They, they drive the politics. It takes a long time for an idea which germinates in the universities and the colleges to actually manifest itself out there uh, in the classroom. It takes a while, maybe a decade. For example, you, you take the whole language thing, which, which, which we alluded to earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, that was established maybe about 10 years or so before it actually became widespread throughout North America. Uh, with um, the research of Kenneth Goodman. I don't know if you remember that name, Kenneth and Yenna Goodman. Uh, mentioned in that book that yeah. I was talking about um, why Johnny can't read. Um, that took a long time to percolate through the colleges, and then all of a sudden we have this concept of whole language out there in the school system destroying the ability of our, our, our kids to read. Uh, I want to get into the specifics of, of um, education itself, but right now let's first let's get this politics thing out of the way. All right. In the clip there, you were talking about um, trustees believing that their purpose is basically to defend the public education system. Yes. It's interesting because I dug out um, an old article out of a Freedom Party publication, incidentally, by Alan E. Weeble, who was a former bo- uh, chair, chair of the board, and this was way back in 1984. And he made it very clear, and I quote him here. He says, if, and, he, and he wrote this as a criticism, by the way, to us. But he said, if you intend to run for a public school board, you must accept the basic principle of tax-paid education for all. No electorate will support you unless your highest consideration is the quality of education being supplied by that public system. So isn't it almost a precursor before you even ran for trustee that you would have to accept that premise? Because I know you probably didn't accept it. Oh, on of that course level. I didn't. And um, and yet you were one of the most controversial trustees. You had the, a lot of input. You you made headlines all the time. I brought a few of them with me. But um, isn't that sort of um, what would they call conflict of interest in a way? Not Although at all. it isn't. I, Not I know. At all. You and know and what I mean? For this reason, I was forced to pay into the public education system. I, mean, I had a choice between, of course, the Catholic and public education systems. And not being a Catholic, even though I was brought up in a Catholic household, um, we chose the public education system. But you still have to fork over your tax dollars to the education system. There, right then and there, you have every right to go and run for trustee to make sure that your tax dollars and the tax dollars of the other people who are paying for the system are being spent properly. So you don't have to accept the system to run for it and make sure that it's run properly. So when you were in the system, you you weren't really preaching about abolishing it and things like that you were just no no as a matter of fact I think we had one discussion once um, um, in the cafeteria with the other trustees we got together and we talked about um, I think it was sort of in response to a lot of the controversy that I was um, <laughs> that I was uh, stirring Generating. up at the board but we had this conversation about why are we here and to a person except for myself of course to a person they all said that it was to promote the public education system and I'm saying no it's to teach kids it's to make sure the money is spent properly it's to enforce the Education Act. But they disagreed. They said, no, 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 we have to promote the public education system as a system, as, a, as, as the way, the only way to teach Well, you kids. can certainly hear that that was what was going on with Emily Noble with the union yep. argument. And, and I just look at the union argument as being, well, I'm, I'm looking after my own job, you know, um, <laughs> so long, you know, to everybody else. I, the unions aren't exactly the most popular groups today and, ha- and weren't then either. So you know, to me, I see unions having a tremendous influence on what's going on in the schools, the way they're run, the way um, it's almost as if the schools are run for the teachers. In fact, that point's going to come up a little later. Um, now, you were on the board at a time when it switched from the, um, what's it called, the London Board of Education London to Board the London Board of Thames Education, yeah, Thames Valley District School Board, yeah. Now, something very interesting happened with that change that maybe a lot of people aren't too conscious of. And it basically was with the power of the board. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the boards are pretty much uh, useless. <laughs> useless at the moment. Were they more useful before? The oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, under the London Board of Education, before the amalgamations, um, the trustees, the school board uh, itself, had the power to tax, uh, set the mill rate mm-hmm. in the city. Uh, you, you, you establish a budget, and then the mill rate for the taxes would be set accordingly, but now that's not the case. It's it's the province who decides what the uh, final figure is for the for the school board. We don't really set the mill rate anymore, so um, you know, the, the board doesn't set the mill rate anymore. So the trustees are more of a figurehead, and like I said before, it, it, they give the population an illusion 
that they have input into the running of the system, which of course they don't because it's so centralized now in the Queen's Park that uh, there's very little input now from uh, the public. Well, it seemed, you know, I just saw an article in the Free Press just the other day, the kind of things that come up when you're talking about schools in the, in the media. Uh, right now, rural schools are having a big problem because they feel like they're being unfairly targeted by the urban school boards. And uh, there's a group here called uh, Community Schools Alliance, uh, uh, led by Doug Raycraft, and um, local politicians and parents complain there's no appeal procedure to fight school closings. They argue it's part of an attack on rural Ontario that also includes the cutbacks and bed closings in smaller hospitals. Now, of course, we kind of know what the reason behind both of those things is. It sounds like rationing, doesn't it? They it ration, is all rationing. They ration health care, they ration education now. They're rationing schools. And yet, why do you think that even after you... I, I know I've seen you give very convincing arguments to parents, taxpayers, of why, uh, quote-unquote, private education would be um, a better option than the government-run, and yet people still run to the government-run schools. Well, people run to the government for almost everything. You know, if, uh, it well, seems to be the way that the world That can't go on it. forever. <laughs> no, no, it can't. And obviously. shouldn't it be our schools that teach them not to do that? You'd think, eh? You would think. You know, I have here, and this is really interesting. I hope I can find it here. Do you remember Napoleon Hill? He was a, he was a speaker for, uh, he, he wrote, wrote a whole series of books. They were, they were bound to call the laws of success, basically. Right. And he was one of those early motivational speakers. And he had a great definition, uh, the meaning of education. And he, and he says that there's long been a general misconception of the meaning of the word educate, and um, that dictionaries haven't been a great, of a great help because they really don't, they define education as an act of imparting knowledge. And he says the word educate has its roots in the Latin word educo, which means to develop from within, to induce, to draw out, to grow through the law of use. Now here's an interesting quote, and this is Napoleon Hill quote, an educated person is one who knows how to acquire everything he needs in the attain attainment of his main purpose in life without violating the rights of his fellow men. Mm -hmm. Now, that almost sounds like Ayn Rand talking, doesn't it? Oh, it sounds great. I actually and, I like that quote. And um, but, but our whole education system is already doing that by taking away their choice, forcing them to pay for an education system. So by his definition, we don't have an education system, would you say? By that definition, no, we don't. We have an, uh, an induction system. How's that? <laughs> an induction system. <laughs> now, Where kids are inducted into the, uh, the, the order of things today. I was also looking at, um, with respect to your role as trustee, I want to talk more about e actual education and knowledge and stuff like that we'll get to in a moment. Sure. But um, again, referring to some of the things that Alan Weeble was saying, I was wondering how many of these you would agree with. You said, you said that when you were in the board, of course, you didn't advocate abolishing the board and things like that. You worked That wasn't my role. Now, how many of these things would, would you have been doing that, that Alan Weeble, back in 1984, argued that a trustee could be doing, and he says a trustee can and should attempt to restrict the role of public education authority to the basic statutory duty of providing an education for those eligible to receive it, not to masquerade as a granting body, a welfare source, or a daycare center. Now, what was he talking about back in 1984 just by that? That actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, what he's saying is that um, w we have a responsibility to... Uh, as trustees to make sure that the Education Act is followed, and if the Education Act is set out to make sure that uh, well, why would that all why would education? Then yeah, let's let's do that. How would that ever come up that, it, that it's not followed? Are people just going off willy nilly? Willy nilly, mm -hmm. yeah, I guess they are. <laughs> 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 it, it, there's so many influences on education today from so many different groups. It's being pushed and pulled in so many directions that. Um, it, it's it's no longer it no longer represents what it should have done in the first place, which is simply to make sure that that uh, students have the knowledge to succeed in the world, succeed for themselves. Now, one of the slogans, of course, of the board and has been for a long time, certainly when you and I were active, was success for every student. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now. They basically guaranteed success for every student by putting them through. As a matter of fact, it was a policy of the board and the London board that no student would fail. I, asked, I remember asking the director at the time, specifically at a board meeting, I said, has our system ever failed a student? And he said, no, we don't fail them. And I said, well, what's the, what is the value then of having a high school diploma if you're going to get one regardless 
of what you do or what you accomplish in high school. Mm -hmm. it, it cheapens it. It cheapens it, doesn't it? If anybody Did you get can an get answer to that question? Um, I got evasion. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I got a shrug of the shoulders, evasion. It doesn't... Be, well, that would it, make sense. A um, couple other things that Alan suggested was that um, a trustee can and should insist that where the interests of the goal and the system co conflict, the system loses. That makes sense to you? Yeah. Generally? Yeah. Generally. Um, and then he says a final word to anyone seeking office of trustee. A very simple and possibly effective technique to get attention is to quote unquote teacher bash. And he, he advises against this. He says teacher bashing is not only short-sighted from a morale and employee situation, but he considers it to be a collectivist attack on a single class. That's interesting because that, those two words, teacher bashing, were always brought up. If anybody had anything to say critical mm -hmm. of a school board, education in general, it was always, oh, you're a teacher basher. And it, it's basically like so, saying somebody, oh, you're a racist. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a shock word. It's used inappropriately to, to basically diffuse any argument that you might have or any constructive criticism you might have of the system. You're a teacher basher. End of story. You're a teacher basher. Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a um, distraction, too, because I found it whenever I wanted to criticize the system. It always ended up being teacher bashing, you mm -hmm. know, as if anybody in the system is bad. And we always went out of our way to say that that's not what, what we're after. There's a lot of good teachers in the system. Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, I had some great conversations with a lot of teachers who supported what I did at the board. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they actually feel almost as helpless as a parent or a taxpayer when it comes to the monolithic board because they are just cogs in the wheel just like the rest of us when it comes to this megalithic, monolithic uh, school board. Well, that's an interesting po point you make up. I think we might come back to that when we come back after this break. It's getting to the bottom of the hour now. We're going to take a break right here. What you're going to hear next is from the, um, the, co the British comedy series. I know you're a fan of this. Uh, and that's, yes, Prime Minister. Oh, yes. And um, this is uh, the two bureaucrats, uh, Humphrey, the major bureaucrat, and uh, the Prime Minister's secretary, uh, whose name escapes me right now. What was his name? Um, anyway. Oh. You might mention it on here, but this is from their national education system where Humphrey explains to him um, just what are the actual motivations behind any sort of public education system. And when we come back on the other side, we'll continue our conversation. Right, fine. This afternoon. Hello, Dad. I believe the Prime Minister wants to see me. Yes, Humphrey. What's his problem? Education. Well, it's a bit late to do anything about that now. <laughs> no, no, the education system. I see. Well, it's a bit late to do anything about that either. <laughs> well, he thinks he's going to lose in the next election. Well, worse things could befall the nation. He can't ignore facts. If he can't ignore facts, he's got no business being a politician. <laughs> anyway, Bernard, he's got nothing to worry about. The education system does all that most parents requires of it. Keeps the children out of mischief while they're at work. Uh, yes, but that paper the party chairman showed the Prime Minister suggests the whole of the comprehensive system is breaking down, doesn't it? I never thought to hear such language from a loyal member of the civil service. <laughs> Have you been got at by the enemy? You mean the Russians? <laughs> no, Bernard, I don't. I mean the Prime Minister's political adviser, that Wainwright female. But comprehensive education was an experiment. Surely it ought to be validated. Yes, of course, but not invalidated. But if it was introduced to improve educational standards... What ever gave you that idea? <laughs> you mean it was to get rid of class distinction? Precisely. So that all children... Children? Who mentioned children? Well, I just the Department of Education never mentions children. <laughs> no, 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 Bernard. It was to get rid of class distinction in the teaching profession. <laughs> Improve the living standards of teachers, not the educational standards of children. Bring the NUT teachers in the primary and the secondary moderns up to the salary level of their rivals in the National Association of Schoolmasters and the grammar schools. Uh, but the department... Bernard, when there is a Labour government, the Education Department says that comprehensives abolish the class system. And when there's a Tory government, they say that it's the cheapest way of providing mass education. <laughs> to Labour, we explain that selective education is divisive, and to the Tories, we explain that it is expensive. <laughs> that way, we have a happy relationship with the NUT, and we educate our own children privately. <laughs> 
But if the government wants change... The teaching unions don't. But isn't it our job to persuade the unions to accept government policy? No, Bernard. It is our job to get the government to accept union policy. And since government change policy all the time, and unions never change their policy at all, <laughs> in practice, common sense requires that it is the government who must be brought in line with the unions. Marks were very important. My father evaluated everything. Started as early as kindergarten. I remember once I had a coloring assignment to do. It was a picture of a monkey. And uh, my father found it. I remember it like it was yesterday. Kindergarten. <laughs> Did you color this picture of the monkey? Did you color this picture of the monkey? <laughs> Why would you use purple for the monkey, hmm? Is the monkey not brown? Yeah? You remember I took you to the zoo, I showed you some monkeys? Yeah? Your monkey looks like he's losing circulation, yeah. Your monkey's going to die, Derek. And welcome back, where I am joined in studio by former trustee Robert Vaughn, and we're talking about education. And you can call 519-661-3600 if you want to join in on the conversation. Uh, Robert, just before uh, the break, you made an interesting comment. You talked about how people, even the teachers, parents, felt helpless about not being in control of the system. And so I guess my urgent question to that would be, well, what can we do to get it back? What, what's your vision of how an education system should work? How should, um, if knowledge is the objective of our education system, and I guess that's a big if, isn't it? Just in and out of itself. Is that the only function that people see our education system it's play is knowledge? Because I, I hear more people saying, well, it's about integrating the kids, socializing them, yeah. um, you know, sports, the whole whole deal, almost knowledge seems to be put on the back burner in a way. Well, I think that most people would agree that, that the primary focus should not just be knowledge but learning, mm -hmm. the ability to learn, the ability to reason properly, the ability to um, teach yourself. Sure. Um, ancillary to that is probably socialization, uh, physical fitness, uh, things like that, into, you know, uh, uh, involvement with other kids and that. But then again, there are a lot of people who homeschool their children and they turn out quite uh, well adjusted in society. They don't need necessarily to be um, put into a class of 30 people or uh, go to a, a gym class of 40 people or whatever running around just to make sure that they can socialize. As a matter of fact, that can be quite traumatic for a lot of people. Well, okay, so what would, what would your ideal say free market of education be? Would, you, would that be the thing to call it? Well, yeah, the, the, the good thing about the free market is that it's, um, you can't really predict what it's, what it's like. I mean, your, your idea of what, and this is, uh, what, what you would do to make sure that your child receives an education may be different than mine, but well, you have that opportunity to, to do it. I have to you? play devil's advocate here because I've heard that argument before, and what you'll always get back is, well, yeah, but that's exactly the problem. You've got this person running off that way, that way, and then all of a sudden you've got competing groups in society and they don't share values, and um, there might be some truth in that. Some people are concerned, for example, it's that uh, some people might go off, start some weird religious cult group and teach their kids some things that might cause problems in the future or, or any kind of thing like that. Um, or almost have some kind of education that me means that the child coming out of a certain school might not be adequately um, equipped to deal with things. How would you deal with that? Well, certainly not by the way we're doing it now, which is to make sure that all the children go and are taught the exact same thing and, and if that's bad, I mean putting all your eggs in one basket, that, that sounds disastrous, but making sure that there are choices out there certainly doesn't seem to be a bad uh, thing. Well, how would you see some examples of that? Like, um, Well, I can give you an example from no, my own... For, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. you, 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 you're one of these people that I refer to without mentioning by name whenever um, it comes up that uh, you, know, they s you, you, you um, educated your kids privately. 
Well, yeah, to at some the beginning, yes. uh, sure. Uh, I put them into Montessori, and um, as a lot of people do. And I know you're not a rich person. Everybody tells me that you have to be rich to put your kids in the private school. No, it's just a matter of choices. Do you want that extra? Uh, you know, you, you want a fancier car, or do you want to put your kids into a private school? It's 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 as simple as that. It's it's not necessarily that onerous to be able to do something like that. And yet that's something you hear from a lot of people, especially um, a lot of Christian private schools, you know, tax credits for their schools, things like that. Is that something you would support? Um, I'm torn, actually, because I do sympathize with uh, people who want to put their children into an education system and get the appropriate tax credit for it. But what I would rather see is just being able to direct your taxes to the school of your choice. I mean, I think that's probably a good uh, compromise between a totally private system and a totally public system, is to be able to say, look, I want my kids in this school here, school no, A, see, I might so take my tax dollars and give it to that school. I, I don't know, I might disagree with you on that. Isn't, isn't it always going to boil down to, he who pays a piper calls a tune, regardless of how you try to channel it? Um, well, certainly any, uh, any money that would come from any outside source of, than yourself would have to come with some strings attached. Oh, sure. Every, every time you spend money, there's always strings attached. Well, from the person who's given the money, in this case, if you're talking about government aid, what strings would they attach? Government aid? Yeah, like if you're uh, talking about directing taxpayer dollars to the school of your choice. Uh, your tax dollars, ah. not somebody else's tax dollars. Don't get me wrong there. No, it's your tax dollars to, to the school of your choice. So then you could pay direct if you wanted without tax. Oh, sure. For example, if you send your, your child to a Christian school, um, what you do is you, you just fill out the appropriate form. Like right now, I think, uh, on the tax forms for the city, you have to check off public or Catholic. Great, there's your two choices right there. I'd like to see a thousand choices on that list. You know, the, the names of the individual schools. So you send your tax dollars to where your child is, not, not to some place you don't want it to go. Mm. Now, now, in... Um in your opening comments in the other, other interview, you were talking about um, the schools being more political now and less focused on basic skills and knowledge. Um, what would you consider the basic skills? Well, I'm, I'm not a teacher. I'm not an educator. And I don't want to get into an area that uh, and I'm not an expert at. Um, I'm more on the, uh, politi <laughs> you know, the politics side of things. But well, th that's true. And as a trustee, you're an educator. You're actually looking after, quote, unquote, taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. And... Um, but isn't that part of the problem whenever we talk about education in the, in the public realm, that we aren't talking about what's going on in the classroom? I, I've always found this with, with health care as well. You're talking about, um, you know, doctors and things like that. You're not talking about a patient's particular problem in a, in a room with a doctor or health issues. We're always talking about money. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. a, and so, I mean, it all comes down to who's paying, Peter or Paul. And whether you support pay your own or rob Peter to pay Paul, that's about the only two options in the whole money situation, isn't it, really? Yeah, and, and the, the equation, the bottom, bottom line and all that is force, isn't it? Exactly. Now, and, but that's how our system works. So doesn't that uh, perhaps nurture a chorus of mind? Kids have this sense of entitlement, maybe. They, they, uh, you know, everything's given to them on a platter, free education. Um, you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, uh, I think if the entire system is built around a structure of force, and this goes Especially back when to you don't fail. You know. Oh, yeah. Well, I think they, they may have changed that slightly since, uh, since the London Board of Education. But going back to the, uh, that union rep you had on there during one of those mm -hmm. clips, uh, she, want, she wanted to see government as a cornerstone of education. And to me, government is a cornerstone of force. Now, mind you, there is a, a um, government is necessary, and force is sometimes necessary but not when it comes to making sure that a, a child is educated. You don't force some, everybody to pay taxes to uh, a system that they don't necessarily want to pay to. That's, that's, that's force. Well, I agree. You're not going to get any argument for me on that one. Um, an issue that comes up, too, I know you're not a teacher, but one of the issues you did get into, and it had to do with content in the classroom, and that was, uh, it's worth the whole show, I know, the whole language debate and everything. But there was always this debate between reading and comprehension as though, um, uh, you know, the, the, those who defined reading as decoding phonics mm -hmm. uh, were always derided by those who said reading had to be comprehension. Um, that was a big debate during the board, or in the board when you were there. What was your basic stand on that? Well, of course, I was, uh, I was advocating that, uh, well, if you're not going to get choice, then I was suggesting that the school board actually use a system that 
was proven to be effective. And I was just listening to your show last week about the issue of idling bylaws and how you were trying to let the public and the council know the facts, the science behind uh, what happens when your car is idle or you're turning it on. And I was trying to demonstrate to the board that, okay, here's the science regarding, uh, or the literature regarding uh, methodology when it comes to teaching a child how to read. And when you look at it, using a systematic system of phonics gave better, outcome, better outcomes than the system we were using, which is whole language. And they would not, they would evade reality, just like we were telling about last week. Yeah. They, they would say, well, yeah, there, there's the science, but there was always this exclusion, you know, but we need to make sure that all, all the children are taught, you know, according to their own methods and whatever gobble, gobbledygook answer they gave me, there's, there's no way that they were going to tell them that you could teach a, a child how to read using a phonetic method. Of course, the literature said otherwise. That's right. Well, let's take our last break right now. When we come back after that, we're going to go on to a little bit of a different subject that affects uh, things going on in the schools, and that will be the whole concept of uh, zero tolerance and discipline and, and violence and things like that that's going on in schools. And we'll be back right after this. I love the TV, you know? The other day I was watching Sesame Street. You see that show lately? Oh, man. I saw the one that was brought to you by the letter J. You remember that one? <laughs> Good episode, you know? I bought 10 J's that day, you know? I'm just such a sucker for the marketing. Geniuses. I didn't realize I could make my own on paper. No, Sesame Street manipulated me. Oh, uh, Sesame Street is such an unrealistic show, you know? It's not a real street. <laughs> Where are the prostitutes, huh? <laughs> Picture the count standing there. One, one crack addict! Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> Little Elmo there. Elmo no like homeless people, they smell! You know the kids. The kids are all learning from watching, from watching us. You know. And um, anybody here got kids like three years old, four years old, five years old? You know. <laughs> down, down there you go. Yeah, you like them? You like them? You like the kids? I don't mean you love them. You like them? Yeah. That's the blessing. Like you got to love. You guys are always oh, my son. I love him. I'll always love him unconditionally. Blah, blah, blah. But he's a prick. That's good. If you can do that. Because then you're treating him like a real person, not someone just like you know came flying out of your bum or wherever they come from. You know. It's like, like he's magic, oh he's magic, I gotta worship him, he's a little baby. No, you gotta treat him like a person, you know, or they grow up all warped. Sesame Street screwed kids up. I believe Sesame, you know why? Self-esteem is something that you earn and you get from accomplishment and self-confidence. It's not something you just give somebody because it leaves them hollow. And that's all Sesame Street, even when the kids are this big, they're going, you're special. You are special. I want you to know you're special, you're special. All the little creatures come, you're special, you're special, you're special. And then the kids, they, they, don't, they didn't earn it. And they grow up and they're 15 and they got, they're all body pierced and they got like, you know, gangster rap clothing and they're running up and down the street going, I am special! What do you think of that, Robert? Oh, I love your clips, Bob. <laughs> uh, uh, but didn't he say something? That was a uh, comedian, Larry, Larry Horowitz, if I got the name right. But um, there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? Well, being special, yeah. yeah special, and about self-esteem being unearned. Again, that, that to me fits right into the uh, success for every student philosophy, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Now, we were talking, we, we wanted to switch uh, gears a little bit. You ha I know this was on your mind, and you were talking about the whole concept. By the way, we're on the air with uh, former trustee uh, Robert Vaughn, 519-661-3600, the number to call if you want to get in in the last 10 minutes here. Um, you're talking about the problem of zero tolerance and, and some of the issues that creates. Oh, yeah. Um, as the trustee, I, 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 w I was approached by a lot of parents who felt that there was an injustice being performed at the schools. Not necessarily because of the teachers or the principals, but because the policy of zero tolerance towards any form of physical violence in the schools whatsoever. 
to the point where if a person defended themselves, if a person was being bullied, being beaten up, and if they dared to defend themselves, that, that victim would receive as much as a suspension as the person who was bullying. And that seemed to me to be unjust, and it seemed to a lot of parents out there to be unjust as well. And I, and I came across a lot of instances where that was the case. And Well, somebody must support the policy. Why do we have it then? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of a person um, are developing these policies? I think that's the whole, the whole notion. It's, it's the people out there in the trustees, the school board, the superintendents who want to just throw um, up their hands when it comes to deciding what is right or wrong, who is right or wrong, what is just or what is unjust. They'll just say that, okay, fighting, both of you, you're out. They don't look at who's right, who's wrong, who's the bully, who's the victim, because that, re re that requires some sense, some code of morality. That requires well, some sort of thinking. Doesn't this extend right into our society? Isn't that the whole issue of you can't defend yourself if someone breaks into your home? You can't own a gun for self-defense? Isn't that kind of conditioning people to give up their right to self-defense to some other authority? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think there's a case right now um, in, in Toronto where um, I was watching it on YouTube, this, this, this uh, shop owner tracked down a person who was stealing his plants and held them for the police to come. Now he's being charged. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think those things happen all the time. Yeah, they do. And I think that that's what's happening is that there is no, it's an abrogation of the responsibility, I think, of the people in charge to decide that based on the facts, this person is wrong and this person is the victim. Therefore, we're going to punish the person who was committing the violence, not the person who was defending themselves. And and it's in the schools, and I and I think that it's really a sad it's a sad situation when a when a little kid being beaten up is prevented from defending themselves, thinking that they might be suspended for it. Um, Peter Jaffe at the school board has long been known for his constant um, you know fighting violence in the schools and exactly the kind of policies that you're talking about. Um, it's funny, too, because just a couple of weeks ago, we were doing a show on um, comic books, believe it or not, and we were talking about Steve Ditko, and he talked about the whole issue of violence being uh, a phony issue that distracts from the very thing you said, the morality of what is right and what is wrong. You can, you can not have to deal with that just by saying, I'm going to do away with all violence, and that sort of makes the problem go away. But what really happens? What's the, what's the effect of something like that on, on say, the two people involved in a uh, altercation of some sort in a schoolyard or wherever, and the person who th who clearly thinks they're defending themselves, you know, feels this injustice? Is that gonna has that a, had a measurable effect that we can see on kids over a long term of any sort? Well, I, I'm sure it probably does, though I don't I haven't seen any studies on it uh, that particular that mm -hmm. particular thing. But I'm I'm sure it does. I mean, if you're thinking about you're a little kid, you're 10 years old, 8 years old, and you're being beaten up on a constant basis at school, and you know for a fact that the policy is that if anybody th tries to defend themselves, then you're going to get as much of a, a suspension or a punishment, doesn't always have to be suspension, than uh, as, the bully, as the bully will. So what's, that, what's, what's going to happen? I bet you there's probably kids out there who are, who are letting themselves being beaten up rather than face the wrath of the, of the teacher or the principal or the vice principal. You know, it's interesting. Um, Nick Whitehead, who is um, director and founder of the Oxford Learning Systems here in London, he makes a point in an article that, that was actually published by Freedom Party some time ago, and he says, too much attention is placed on the social skill of good citizenship and harmony instead of on justice within the public school system. That kind of addresses a bit of what you're saying. Is that maybe the... the um, the motivation behind it? Are people thinking, well, you know, we all got to get along, it's harmony? It sounds like what I'm hearing out of City Hall all the time, you know, whenever uh, there's a disagreement goes on at City Hall. One, usually the left complains that the right is ganging up on them. Why aren't you working with us? We have to work together. Oh, I went through that. Oh, did you? Oh, Same God, thing? Yes, yeah, yeah so I wasn't a team player, mm -hmm. they would say. I said, well, whose team? <laughs> you're not on my team I'm not on your team okay so we're not team players you're not on my team you're not a team player no that's all nonsense but I, I know what Nick's talking about here um, but I think that if we have justice if we have a, a, a very clear set of what's right and what's wrong who's the bully and who's the victim then you do have social harmony you have these odd little abrogations every now and then when somebody is, is, is causing a problem and you deal with that person 
you just don't say that there should never be any violence whatsoever. You say, you know, this is right, this is wrong. You can defend yourself, and you're not going to get punished for defending yourself. What if there's no, um, quote, say, witnesses, or it's a he says, she says? It's up to, the, it's up to mm-hmm. the principal, the person in authority, the vice principal in that case, to, to weigh all the facts and come out with a, with a decision that's, that they think is just. You just can't whitewash it by saying zero tolerance. Now, we haven't got very much, uh, man, there's so many areas we could have got into. Robert, I, I, we're going to have you back sometime in the future to get into some of these other issues. But um, coming out of that last uh, comedic clip there about um, entitlement leading to, you know, g- the gimme gimme mentality, um, is that where all that's coming from? Is that really being nurtured in our schools, that whole socialist, that we might call socialist attitude, you know, that people don't even think about government. How much is taught about government in schools since the government funds a darn thing? Oh, I think it is in absolutely everything that they're being taught today. Um, if, you're in, if you're in a math class, you're in a physics class, you're in a chemistry class, um, I think it's hard to get away from it. And then I know this from a fact, because I was talking to my, my kids, uh, one who's who now through the system, the other mm-hmm. one is still in high school, that they have to basically, you know, figuratively hold their nose and, 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 and try to learn the, the, the subject matter despite all the, the, the government propaganda, if you want to use that word, that, that's, being, um, that's being associated with mm-hmm. it. See, I can't imagine, um, my grandson's just starting in elementary school, and um, even at grade one, grade two, kindergarten, the green philosophy is really being shoved down. Those kinds throats. of concepts are higher order concepts. They're political concepts. The idea of recycling, of pollution, what's a pollutant, it, what's a property right, you know, how do mm-hmm. you determine whether or not this is pollution or not? Those are higher order political concepts, and we're teaching them to grade three. Well, that's nonsense. They that should be learning how to read, write, and exactly. <laughs> but you, you know, you watch the Weather math. Channel and you see all these uh, green advocates saying, "Oh, it's the schools. It's the kids that have to teach green to their parents. It's the kids." Because of course, you can always indoctrinate them, and they believe anything that you tell them. Well, you know something. I went. Th- uh, you and I went to the school in the, in the '60s mm-hmm. for primary, I guess, and maybe the early '70s. And, and I understand the, the concept of recycling and green, and I didn't have to have it driven down my throat uh, every day in school. And we didn't at that time, back, back in those days, when you, it wasn't necessarily a... Well, there were actually serious pollution concerns, too. Oh, back, back in, in the, the 70s, 70s, old Love Canal, those kinds uh, of yes, things. Yes, and yeah. they, they were for real and legitimate. Oh, yeah, and I don't think you'd rain. find anybody who t- opposed to cleaning up the lake and things like that. No. But um, that's certainly beyond the subject of uh, education, per se. We're going to have to leave it here today, Robert. I can't believe the hour has gone by. Look at that. I didn't even get to point number three <laughs> it's yet. It's been fun, Bob. Okay, well, thanks, Robert. Hope we'll have you back again. That's Robert Vaughn, who joined us this week. We hope that you will en- join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. To black and white Under the bedclothes You are looking at a very proud Canadian who is very proud of the education system in Canada. I think <laughs> it's the goodest of all 17 countries.